They took away my life. They took away my future. They took away my hope. They took away any desires that I had. I cannot operate in a community of people that that does that to their neighbors. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you're listening to Sick and Wrong. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm on your host, E. Simon. Hello, I'm Kate Rambo. What's the crack, Hello. Kate Rambo? Uh, I am sober as a judge. Uh, I know. We were talking about that on the second show. So uh, this this sobriety, I'm, I'm concerned. How long is it going to last? I'm going to do uh, 30 days, just a full 30 days. Just as like I'm certainly going to return to the sauce and I shall return with the vengeance. I shall be like Jaws in all of the Jaws uh, sequels. It'll be me and the ocean will be, uh, will be like whiskey and wine. Wait, so and at I'll the end of... At the end of 30 days, are you just going to drink like a fifth of bourbon or something? Something like that. Yeah, I'm just going to return to it. But I just I just want a little cleanse just to get back to, you know, a bit of like, just a refresh. I haven't, I worked out, I haven't not had a month off the booze in probably over two years. I was like, that's pretty bad. And especially because I have the gene, I should like watch myself. So I'm just doing this to prove to myself that, you know, I can do it. Hey, whatever blows your dress up. That's what I say. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, I am not going off the sauce. And in fact, after I finish this uh, cup of coffee, I'll probably end up pouring myself a drink. Hope it doesn't bother you. It doesn't. No, I'm, I'm not that type of person. You can drink all you want. This is a, you know, I've got great willpower and I have to remind myself that I do have great fucking willpower and like nothing will ever control me apart from myself. All right. I guess Freedom. I'll have a couple of like Jagermeister shots to that right too. Yes. Add a couple of Jägermeister, maybe uh, maybe a shot of uh, I don't know, a Fireball. Fireball, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, did you used to have this thing? We used to have it called aftershock. It's oh, a yeah. shock. Can you remember aftershock? Where yeah, they used to tell you to cinnamon. swill it around your mouth for a minute. Yeah, it was kind of cinnamon, right? That was the red one, but there was the blue one. That's the one you were supposed to swill around your mouth. They were just all so gross and just like hangover cure, like a hangover inducer. The only shot, really, that Jews like is Goldschlager, because there's little flakes of gold in it. Well, of course. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's like um, a shot from the bullet, so you don't have to be sent to the gas chamber. I don't know where that came from, but no, I was just, I was just making like a less, you know, um, a terrible Jewish joke. But okay, had six to go million. There. You had and to go one. there. Wow. Um, so, Kate Rambo, I went to uh, the, the South Park anniversary event today in Hollywood. I went to go check it out. It, well, you didn't go there deliberately, did you, Do That's a total lie. You walked past it. No, okay, all right. I was driving by because uh, I had to go get my hair cut. And I was driving by, and I saw that there were a bunch of people standing around. I was like, oh, something must be going on. That, that's the one thing that happens here frequently, actually. It's like you'll see just a, a bunch of people in a queue, and you're like, something's going on. So I went to go, uh, I parked, and there's a parking spot, and I went to go investigate. And sure enough, South Park apparently was having their 25th anniversary. And I, I looked it up on my phone. Apparently, they did some big show at Red Rocks in uh, Denver, 
That's a really cool uh, outside venue. But with like Ween and Primus playing <gasps> with both the uh, the South Park guys. Okay, ooh to Primus, but yes to Ween. I also remember, I remember the first episode of South Park. I remember when it landed on Channel 4 at 11 p.m. on a Friday night, and I was stoned watching it. And now suddenly, 25 years later, I haven't aged a day. Though, it's still it's say. still going strong. I mean, it's still just as funny as it was back in the day. I mean, it's, oh yeah, it's great. Yeah, no, it's such an impressive, impressive run. Actually, great show, and not to mention those guys do other stuff like uh, Book of Mormon and very talented. But anyway, I was like, maybe I'll maybe I'll try to get it, get in line here and check it out. So I was like walking through, and I saw that this line—that's the thing everybody in LA loves a queue, even more than British people. They love the queue here. They queue for bars, restaurants you know, uh, events. So I, I kind of walk, walked by it, and I saw it. it was just really just a shipping container full of South Park shit, like memorabilia, like like scripts, and uh, I think you could see char- or early character drawings, and I could just see it when I walked by it. Um, but you kind of walk through the whole thing, and I was like, and so I'm like, oh, maybe I'll go check it out. And I walked over, and it's the line. There must have been 300 people in line. And it was like fucking 99 degrees today, too. And I was just like, fuck this. But the, whole the time, Euro crew, that's 35 degrees because I had to look it up. Yeah, no, it's fucking hot. And the whole time I'm just kind of standing there and I was like, well, maybe uh, maybe I could cut in line. And I was standing there and I was just like looking over my shoulder the whole time because there's a big crowd of people all on one corner and I was just looking over my shoulder the, the entire time and not for an incel with an AR-15 just on a random killing spree. Uh-huh. Not that. I was on the lookout for inebriated celebrities who have weaponized their Mini Coopers. <laughs> Turn them into micro-death machines outfitted for maximum destruction, Kate Rambo. I think you know who I'm talking about. Um, I think everyone knows who you're talking about. <laughs> but, but seriously, that's what us normal, everyday Angelinos have to deal with now. We got smash-and-grab robberies happening at the 7-Eleven and deranged celebrities off their tits on goofballs driving 100 miles per hour in their Mini Coopers. Down the street. I didn't even know a Mini Cooper could floor it to that extent. I don't know if she's going 100 miles an hour, but she was going she was fast. Going fast right? I saw the video. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed for her. Just say, if you are going to unalive yourself in a motor vehicle, go out and rent a caddy. Go like out and rent term, a, like a Trans Am. <laughs> Do it is that with an style. official term, or is that like a British thing? Mini Coopers are a British thing. No, I'm saying unalive. The, the term unalive is that like a British thing or? I've read it this week and I just really liked it. <laughs> and I've just been saying unalive a lot. But seriously, what what did us normals here do to deserve this? Like what like what is it? Did we stop adoring the celebrities and now they turned on us? Because you know, it was like one salacious story in T- TMZ too too many and now they're on a vendetta just to kill. It would be so funny if all this, because you know, like celebrities do have a sense of entitlement, especially because we kind of give them that sense of entitlement. Of course. If all celebrities started attacking back, they would not last. It would be brilliant. Well, there's not as many. Um, So if you haven't heard, Anne Hesch, um, you know, just recently died and her tragic death was officially ruled an accident. For now. Uh, according to the uh, L.A. County Medical Examiner, coroner, the actress lost her life due to smoke inhalation and thermal injuries. Um, the 53-year-old sustained injuries after crashing her car into a house, a random person's home, on Bitch. August 5th. Uh, the residence and the car both ignited as a result. 
I mean, I can get what she was trying to do. She obviously didn't want to be alive anymore. But Thelma and Louise it, right? Just yeah. drive up north. There's so many fucking, like, hills into the ocean. Just drive your car off. Go to Malibu. There you go. But, yeah, like, to do it into some... She knew she was in a residential area. It's a bit... And I think if she had killed this woman and her two dogs and her tortoise then there would be a different opinion about Anne Hesh rather than this boo-hoo-hoo, Anne Hesh died. Crap, that's Well, horrific. the homeowner and her pet were able to, her pets were able to evacuate, but Hesh had to be removed from the vehicle by rescue workers. That video of her is gnarly. She kind of looked like Freddy Krueger. I thought she was like a real-life zombie when she like comes up at the end and she's like clawing for the firefighters and they're just like pushing her back down and she was probably making, like her skin would have been so crispy, she would have been making like fried chicken sounds in my mind, that's what I can hear. <laughs> I think it'd be more like uh, like macaroni and cheese. I don't think she was sludgy by that part. But, oh, do you mean when it has a crust Yeah, on the top? crust on the top. Oh, I really want some macaroni and cheese now, do you? So she was rushed to the hospital in critical condition, fell into a coma shortly after. She was on a ventilator for almost a week before her family revealed she's not expected to survive, and they pulled the plug. Now, this is interesting. There's speculation about Anne Hesh's condition uh, before the crash um, because she was filmed driving erratically through that neighborhood shortly before the accident. Uh, She was also involved in another minor accident a few blocks away before fatally slamming into the house. After blood tests showed the presence of narcotics in her system, law enforcement had been trying to determine if the drugs were administered at the hospital or before. Now, this is what pisses me off. What a fucking double standard. If that had been Andy Dick behind the wheel of that Mini Cooper, they would have been thinking of trying to determine that. (laughs) It would have been front page on TMZ. Andy Dick was high on drugs. Straight to prison, straight to prison rehab. You know, it's like, he's, they're not going to be like, well, maybe the narcotics were administered at the hospital. It's like, no, dude, the guy was on like five different drugs. We know <laughs> this. Yeah. So when they took Anne Hesh to the hospital, they were like, quick, quick, give her a bag of beak before she wakes up. Put it in a system, lads. <laughs> Put some Ekkies down her throat while you're at it. According to those close to the actress, uh, the horrific car crash came at the end of a downward spiral that started when uh, Hesh split from uh, Bo, actor Thomas Jane. My birthday buddy, Pisces twin. Oh my God, I love Thomas Jane. He's a really good actor. I had no idea that she dated the Punisher. Isn't that your favorite Punisher? Uh, yeah, that is my favorite Punisher. You know who else Thomas Jane has boned, meaning she is custard sisters with this woman, Diane Lane. Oh, I didn't know he boned Diane Lane. She must be older. Yeah, Diane Lane's like old, but she's still fucking hot. She's like Marissa Tamai. You only just get hotter as you get older. She does mature like a fine wine. Yeah. Um, but I thought Anne Hesh was uh, into to, to women, the fairer sex. No, she only got with, like, they say she only got with Ellen because Ellen was famous. Oh, so she wasn't actually a lesbian, She but she just kind of uh, experimented with Ellen? She literally um, rode that carpet to stardom. What was she before uh, she shagged Ellen? She was still kind of, she was still a famous actress, but I think she just met Ellen at a party and was just like, all right, this could help my career. Mm, well, very, a true Hollywood love story. So apparently, yes. uh, Anne Hesh and Thomas Jane dated from 2019 through 2020. She was crazy in love with him, said one Who of her isn't? friends. Um, after so many failed relationships, she thought she finally found her person, the guy who oh, would no. be in her life forever. 
No. Well, it turned out that's not the case. And now Anne Hash turned her Mini Cooper into a vehicle of death. Kate Rambo, the celebrities are turning on us. They're programmed to kill. And actually thinking about this, I kind of hope they take Ezra Miller's keys away because that guy's insane. I hope they take his keys away, but I hope that Thomas Jane uh, isn't affected at all by this because I love him and he doesn't deserve it. She's a crazy bitch. Thomas Jane could have put on his Punisher outfit and stomped it. He probably could have. <laughs> well, there's a, the, the theme of this week's show here is killing machines. Not necessarily killing machines driven by celebrities. Um, one of them that we're going to talk about here was driven by Marvin John Hemeyer. You might have heard of this one. He was just a regular guy, an automobile muffler repair shop owner in a small town in Colorado until he built you know, a modified bulldozer that he modified for mass destruction, and he destroyed the town of Granby. Um, so we're going to get into that in a bit, along with a couple other um, uh, people who drove vehicles to death. But before we get into all that, I just want to give a big shout-out to all the listeners who support us on the uh, Sigrong Patreon every goddamn month. I mean, it's because of you, you, out there, that we uh, still keep recording this uh, this claptrap every week. <laughs> Um, it's why we're you, you're enabling us to build a killdozer of a podcraft every week. <laughs> that's pretty much what this, that's, that's, that's an app description of this show. Uh, but we, you know, you, you sign up for Patreon. It's not like we're just asking for a donation. You sign up for Patreon, you get something in return. You know, for five bucks a month, you get the entire second show. We do a whole second show. Um, every week there's a main show and then there's a second show. It's a bit, it's a bit different than the main show, a little more personal. A little more saucy. Yeah, a little more saucy. Uh, this week, we, uh, we chat about Kate being on the wagon and what, that, what's, what, what that's like. Um, uh, we talk about uh, my unexpected night out in London and rather hungover flight back to the States. Uh, we talk about the Deicide show I went to on Thursday. And then uh, I give you a few more details about the South, the South Park thing um, happening in Hollywood. But that's only for five bucks a month. A few bucks more, you get access to our mini show, The Sick and Wrong uh, Overkill. This week, Kate did an entire audio experience about Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, I soundscaped the shit out of Jeffrey Dahmer. It's a dumb I've, I've been reading Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, you go through phases of serial killers where you're like, you, you're really into them. At the minute, I'm super into Dahmer. I'm rereading uh, Lionel Dahmer's book. I Like, you could have stormed through that book about Jeffrey, where he's like, I look back at this moment that Jeff was playing with bones, and I think, should I have stopped him? It's like, yes, Lionel, you maybe should have. You should have. Um, but yeah, it's a Dahmer soundscape. You just put your headphones on, you know, go eat some beef jerky and just, you know, <laughs> listen to Dahmer. And then also at the $10 level, you get the access to the first 10 years of Sick and Wrong. It's all on, uh, I uploaded all the SoundCloud p- playlists. So there you go. Patreon.com slash Sick and Wrong. Uh, help us keep the show going. You know, we appreciate the support. Uh, now, Kate Rambo, what were we talking about again? Oh, yeah. Vehicles of death and destruction. Well, D. First, there was Ryan Dunn. May he rest in peace. Then there was Paul Walker. I don't care about him. And now there's Anne Hesch, who has said, hold my beer, as she literally crashed and burned after her car, a blue Mini Cooper. And honestly, I'd want to die in a wreck if I was driving such a terrible monstrosity of a car too. Jumped a curb and smashed into the Mar Vista home on a Friday, August the 5th. I thought she was drinking so, vodka for some reason. Again, it's all been unconfirmed. We don't know this at the it's moment. It's all speculative. As of time. Yeah, as of time of going to press. 
And Hersh, the ultimate party crasher, she was 53 when she suffered a fractured sternum as a result of the blunt force trauma. And she drifted into unconsciousness as her car set aflame, as well as the home. Uh, luckily, the resident, uh, Lynn Michelle, she managed to get herself out of the home along with her pets, her two dogs, Bree and Reuben. Great names. Bree. And her tart <laughs> named Marley. I have nightmares about this. Like if my like house ever caught on fire and I had to jump out of a window, like just capturing my cat and then holding him in my arms as I jumped out of a window. I was like, I have no idea how I do this. Like, would you chuck your cat first or do you just go down with them? Or like, what goes on? I'm getting my fucking records. Fuck the cat. <laughs> your place would go up like a <laughs> fucking bomb in World War II. It'd be like the beaches of Normandy if there was a fire in your place. All these animals survived, uh, as did Lynn. But Anne... She infamously, infamously now, she did not. And a week later, on Friday the 12th of August, she died, never having regained consciousness. As I said at the time of recording, a toxicology report still hasn't been pre- produced. Detectives on the scene and those looking into the crash said narcotics were found in her blood, but they dropped the investigation when she was declared brain dead. Of course. Dead. The coroner ruled her death as accidental as she has suffered a severe anoxic brain injury caused by a lack of oxygen to the brain. Basically, yeah, she died of like smoke inhalation. So wait, she accidentally drove her Mini Cooper into someone's home? Like, what, did she lose control of it? Or was she fucking wasted? I think we're going to find that out very soon. And driving, I don't think any of us are going to be surprised when it says she's wasted. Driving dangerously fast through a, a residential neighborhood. Yeah. So that's us up to speed about Anne Hesch, but what caused her to race to her death? So Anne, who was the first to come for recognition for her role for playing twins, Vicky Hudson and Marley Love on the show Another World when she was 18 years old. You ever see that? You ever hear of it? I've never even heard of it. it. I thought, wait, are you talking about a different world? The spinoff of no, the Cosby called, show? It was called Another World. With Dwayne Wayne? These are the Americanisms I have not. I don't, I don't know Another World. I've never heard of it. <laughs> It won her an Emmy, but I mean, come on, it's a tale as old as time. It's a rise and fall or a car into a wall trope. Child stars are usually very fucked up and they usually die really shitty deaths, often by suicide. Anne certainly ticks the boxes for fucked up childhood. The family, she was the youngest of five, lived in poverty. They moved 11 times, once even living in the basement of an Amish church. Whoa. Anne's, yeah, it's weird. Anne's father claimed to be a choir director, but who knows what he was, other than an apparently massive cunt, if you listen to what Anne Hesch has said about him. In early 1983, her 45-year-old father, Donald Joseph, Donnie Joey, he died of complications from AIDS. And I'm putting this out there, I do believe he died from the bad AIDS. Wait, there's good AIDS? The good AIDS? What's the good AIDS? <laughs> have you never seen um, Have you never seen Brass Eye? I have seen Brass Eye, but I don't recall that. I don't want to go into what the good AIDS and the bad AIDS is, but this is the bad AIDS that he's okay. died of. Anne has claimed that as well as playing hide the salami with men, he would play hide the salami with her. And I don't mean in a Janice Dickinson, let's play the lollipop game type, like level of incestuous rape. I mean, she's 12 and he's fucking her doggy style. Like, and when she was also 12, he uh, gave her genital herpes as an early Christmas present. Where was her mother? We'll get more into a crackpot of a mother in a little bit. When um, asked why would a gay man rape a girl, she replied back, I don't think he was a gay man. I think he was sexually deviant. No shit. 
Sounds like it. This is a theme in their family because actually I think three of the children are now dead. There's only two that are alive. Three months after her father died, her older 18-year-old brother Nathan died in a car crash. Anne has said that it was suicide. So this is a he said, she said situation with this family because the whacked out religious mother says that it's all lies. Anne's sister Abigail said, it is my opinion that my sister Anne truly believes at this moment what she has asserted about our father's past behavior. However, at the same time, I would like to point out that Anne in the past has expressed doubts herself about the accuracy of such memories. Hmm. Do you think she's just repressed it? Or do you think she has like a selective... uh... Uh, I think she's what happened. Wackadoo. Yeah, she was. She's estranged from the majority of her family that are left survived, claiming for the first thirty-one years of her life that she was insane. Be it what it will, Anne zoomed her car into a brick wall, probably intending to unalive herself. <laughs> but for all the media frenzy that surrounded it, the hashtag thoughts and prayers that followed, I think Anne was actually weak sauce. Because if you're going to go big and not go home, you don't crash and burn in a blue Mini Cooper into the home of a woman with her dogs and tart. Exactly. You do what Sean Nelson did, don't you? You kick it up a notch. You zhuzh it up. And you steal yourself a fucking tank. That's what that you works. do. No, that works. Like, what, what kind of damage is a blue Mini Cooper going to do? Like, yeah, why? Come on. Have, I mean, some, have some forethought to this. At least outfit it with, like, some, uh, I don't know, firearms or something. But, yeah, what, what's it going to do? Now a tank. That's going to do some damage. Sean Nelson here. He was a Utah native, but he re- relocated to the military town of San Diego when he was a kid. And he grew up in the post-WW2 Claremont neighborhood. So early 80s San Diego sweltered through some miserably hot summers. And they endured El Nino in the winter of 82 through until 83. And this brought, brought torrential rainfall to an otherwise tepid town and unusually warm ocean currents. And it also stirred up the emotions inside Sean Nelson. Maybe it was a turn of pathetic fallacy, but Sean Melson was not riding the good waves of life, bro. His wife had left him, probably because of his meth habit. And he was an unemployed plumber living in the San Diego area. And he was recently struggling from a motorcycle accident. He was drowning in debt. He was about to lose his home. So he somehow walked into the California National Guard Armory and drove out in an M6O A3 pattern tank. Now, I, I remember this in 95 because it was all over the news because they had like video, you know, uh, the helicopter. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Were, yeah. You can watch the rampage when he, when he steals his tank. But the whole thing, I was thinking like, how the fuck do you steal a tank? And then also, if you do manage to get into a tank without anyone seeing you, how do you know how to drive it? I'll get into how Sean might have been able to drive it. So luckily for San Diego, the tank's weapons, which is a 105 millimeter cannon and a 12.7 millimeter anti-aircraft gun and a 7.62 millimeter machine gun, none of them were loaded. So, you you know, this army base does have some sense, doesn't it? (laughs) But for around half an hour on May 17th, 1995, when I was a mere 10 years old, Sean Nelson took his rage out on the city traffic of San Diego. This guy was just going crazy, bystander Kelly Bird told the New York Times. Bird said he, yeah, it's a bloke, because this is the 80s, isn't it? When like the 80s slash the 90s, when men could have women's names and women could have boys' names. You remember those great times? I've known a few people, a few guys named Kelly, but it's been a while. Yeah, I think it's a very 80s, 90s thing for it. 
He saw at least 25 cars flattened. Bird said he saw um, that he was just mowing the cars over. So what, what do you do in that situation? Like, does insurance just pay for the car or replace the car? Do you, yeah, does your, do your rates go up? I don't think your rates would go up because it's not like you parked your car there thinking it's going to get flattened by a tank. Yeah, insane person stole a tank and drove over my car. It's not my fault. But I, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd be very curious. So if there's any uh, San Diego residents that are around my age that had like a car parked in that area, let me know if your rates went up. <laughs> That's such a Jewy question. <laughs> I want to know about your insurance rates for that day. Tell me. <laughs> Before Sean got into the tank and made it look like a GTA mission come to life, he had a lot that pushed him towards that point, as well as what I mentioned before. He had also lost both his parents in a short space of time. He had lost multiple lawsuits and was then countersued for legal claims. He had lost his plumbing business. And his living girlfriend died of a drugs overdose from all the meth that the pair had been smoking. The huge hole that he had dug in his backyard, it had ladders and everything, failed to cough up the gold that he believed it held. (laughs) Now that is a meth addict. I mean, this guy, I mean, you hear meth addicts like, you know, doing crazy uh, uh, business, you know, ideas about like, uh, I'm going to like my brother's friends are just like, oh, yeah, I started Facebook. It was my idea. And it's just like, okay, sure. But I don't think I've ever met a meth addict that's like, I believe there's gold buried underneath my home and then digging a, gr- a hole to go find it. There's a great picture of his brother who's like in on the ladder in this like makeshift mineshaft and he's just like looking up at the camera smiling. <laughs> you it's know, a fantastic picture. Honestly, if my brother was doing this, I would be all in. I'd be like, dude, let's let's find it. I'm not going to do any digging, but I'll come check on you every week or so just to see how the progress is going. I would buy you a minor bird. Will that help? I'll buy you some like underground like Victorian oil lamps to set the scene. You know, I'm I'm there for you. I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna show up and probably put in, like an Instagram story and be like, here's my brother looking for gold in the Woo-hoo. tenderloin of San Francisco. <laughs> like I said, Sean was in constant pain from his motorcycle crash and he was also about to be evicted. He's gonna lose his hole and his gold. He was a suicidal army veteran with nothing to lose when he entered a National Guard armory for an unlocked gate and he managed to open an unsecured pattern tank that he just so happened to know how to operate. How? So yeah, they're not keeping, they're not keeping, because he was in the army. Oh, so he probably drove a tank in the army. He was like, yeah, a tanksman. You know, you'd think, you you know, I fucking lock my doors everywhere I go in the city and in San Diego. You'd think you'd lock the fucking tank. Either you know? lock the tank or, like, lock the gates to the armory. At least, like, lock the gates to the fucking armory. Yeah, I'd be worried about a homeless guy living in it. Well, yeah, he's he's just strolled on in. Yeah. Walk right in, sit back down. <laughs> That's what he's doing. As the guards moved to stop him, like, lol, would you ever move in front of a moving <laughs> tank? I'd be like, let the fucker roll. <laughs> Nothing to do with me. The 63-ton tank, it lurched forward, then out the door, then off the base, and into San Diego, much like the T-Rex in Jurassic Park 2. Was that, wait, was Jurassic Park 2 film, or was it set in LA or San Diego? I think it's San Diego, where the T-Rex gets out and does a bit of terrorizing. I can't remember, I gotta watch it. Maybe it is LA, I can't remember it, but I do know that Jeff Golden looks very handsome in that film. That's my main memory of Jurassic Park He always looks handsome. He's a handsome man. He is what I call a spice daddy. (laughs) 
so we know that tanks can't exactly speed along with fury uh, into the side of a house, but it does have a top speed of 30 miles per hour. So we gave the police a good run for it for around 20 minutes. You can see the footage on YouTube. He ran down road signs, hydrants, parked cars, traffic lights, anything that might potentially stop him in his vehicle. He even tried to knock down a pedestrian bridge by ramming into it repeatedly. <laughs> the concrete held, though, and he got bored and he just moved on. So this time he took to the freeway. He got on the 805 South, but he tried to drive over the concrete ban- barrier into oncoming northbound traffic. And that's when his joyride ended. The tank got stuck on the concrete uh, berm. You know, I've had like fantasies about being, because I've been in traffic, like bumper to bumper traffic on the 805 many times. And I've just had fantasies to be like, if I just could just drive over all these cars, you know, I'm, I'm sure this guy was probably that. I bet you that factored into it, because I'm sure he's been in traffic before on that 805. And was just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to drive that's- over all the cars in my tank. Such a Californian thing to say about the fucking traffic. So yeah, it's a very southern SoCal thing to say. Yeah. Four police officers, they climbed onto the tank. One of the officers, Paul Paxton, he had been in the Marine Corps Reserves, and he was familiar with this tank model, and so he was able to open the hatch. The officers, they ordered Nelson to surrender, but he said nothing, and he began lurching the tank backwards and forward in an attempt to free it from uh, where it was stuck. Another officer, Rick Piner, he just leaned in and shot Sean in the neck. The bullet traveled out his shoulder, which resulted in his death at a nearby Sharp Memorial Hospital in Kearney Mesa, San Diego. After the incident, attempts were made to tie Sean's frustration to the emasculation of the American male due to massive workforce layoffs from previously stable middle-class jobs, many of which had recently occurred in San Diego. Who, who was making that attempt? Like, was it Loads Tucker Carlson or something? Like, this this makes no sense. Well, I guess he wasn't around 95. No, there was a lot of people. One of these people was feminist writer Susan Flaudy in her book Stiffed, which was written in 1999. She argued that Sean Nelson felt betrayed by the army and America, and so he chose to fight back like the fucking Unabomber. If a man could not get the infrastructure to work for him, she wrote, he could at least tear it down. If a nation would not provide an enemy to fight, he would go to war at home. If there was no brotherhood, he would take his stand alone. Sean Nelson's sense of desperation, if not his actions, were shared by many men of his, de- of his generation. Or he could have been off his tits on fucking meth because he hasn't slept in six days and just been smoking the fucking pipe. You know, it's like, sure. To me, this sounds like a meth-induced hysteria. Well, that's exactly what Susie Hellman, Sean's ex-wife, agrees with. She said, I just find that ridiculous. We had it all early on. He was an intelligent man who had a great way of customers. He just abused drugs. That's it. Tim Byers, a childhood friend, he summed it up as, Sean had some downers in his life, but Sean was a lucky guy. His luck just ran out. Totally. I mean, the guy's like a drug addict. You, you yeah. know, abusing meth. He's probably sleep deprived. He's also completely you know, lost everything that, you know, he's about to lose everything and be evicted, lost his ex-wife, his girlfriend, everything that he had, nothing left to lose at this point. So then why not just go fuck shit up? Yeah, it's a, it is like really good that no one died. He could, he could easily have killed people. Like you could have just like pulled up, be parking your car and then suddenly a tank rolls over you. Shit, you're dead. Yeah, there could have been people like meffed up guy. There could have been people like sitting in their car, you know, like yeah. reading a book or something, and they just got crushed. 
You know? <laughs> I don't know who sits in I their think. car reading a book, but all right. I know this is the 90s, though. The internet wasn't really around. I don't yet. know. Penthouse Forum. I was about to say on Instagram, but it's like, oh, they didn't have, uh, you know, cell phones back then. So All right. So you'd sit in your car reading Penthouse <laughs> Forum before. What? So you're going to get out of your car with a massive fucking boner? No, you take care of business in the car. I'm just speaking oh, from, right, uh, right. you know, vicariously through, uh, <laughs> through you know, people I've write about doing this. Not, this isn't something I've done. Okay. But once. you know, Dee. I've done it once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, maybe Sean's luck wouldn't have run out if he had kicked it up a notch. If he had, say, zhuzhed up his tank. Maybe he would have gotten his revenge against San Diego, much like Francis Farmer wanted against Seattle, if he had made, and if he had, his very own Killdozer. Exactly. Killdozer. Now, this is kind of like, it's funny because we've, we've been discussing vehicles of death from a Mini Cooper to a tank to the, you know, the. Killdozer. Yeah, like the, the cherry on top of the Sunday, the Killdozer. A modified bulldozer. You've got to say Killdozer like it's um, a movie trailer. The Killdozer. Yeah, you can't um, just say it normal. I do have a, uh, a clip. I'm going to put it at the end as a little secret, little Easter egg at the end of the show. A clip from the movie uh, Killdozer. Killdozer. Um, yeah. So uh, the Killdozer we're referring to was uh, built by Marvin Hemeyer, who went on a destructive rampage in uh, 2005 in Granby, Colorado. Um, his actions on June 4, 2005, described as uh, being the actions of a deranged lunatic to a heroic patriot. It is weird. He's it's a very polarizing figure. We're going to get to that in a second. A little background on a good old Marv. So he was born in 1951, South Dakota. Joined the Air Force in 1971, uh, during, which the, during that time he actually uh, was uh, stationed in Colorado for a bit. A uh, short time after uh, military service, he returned to Colorado where he ran a chain of successful muff- muffler shops in the uh, Denver area. You know, the guy lived a very just commonplace ordinary life nothing really stands out here he wasn't abused you know uh, to, to what right. to, uh, the research i've done he wasn't abused he was never like arrested put in jail he's a military guy family man god christian as, as an aside do you never just laugh every time you see a muffler shop we don't have them here you guys don't have muffler shops where do you buy your mufflers no <laughs> i guess from like your mechanic but like why, why does a muffler other than its fantastic name, need its own place to buy them. Why well, can't sure your mechanic mechanics... just sort out your muff for but, you? Well, he's got to go to a fucking muffler shop. What, is he going to just, like, build one? <laughs> Why can't you just get another muff out of another car and be like, I've sorted it for you? No, because sometimes you have to get, you want a new muffler. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, I didn't even know they were specific. What does a muff, does it make it less... Loud. Less, less noisy, yeah. But I thought, uh, I didn't know that there were specific muffler shops. I thought you went to like a car parts store that sold other things, not just mufflers. Yeah, there definitely, there's a 90, there's a joke in uh, that 70s show where he opens up a muffler's, a muffler store. To me, it seems like a very 70s thing to do. It also seems like, like a small, I'm going to open up a muffler store. It seems like a small town thing to do. Because I think, yeah. you know, here you wouldn't just have a muffler shop. I think you'd have like, you know, an actual car parts store that sold mufflers Muffler as well as other things. And like small appliances, like you'd sell toasters and like saws. No. It would be like a very eclectic shop. No, this is what I'm saying in this small town. It'd be like a nearly like mom and pop store, but you would mainly sell mufflers. 
possibly. I think he just sold fucking mufflers, all right? I don't know if you have a problem with this business plan, <laughs> but Marv wouldn't want to hear this. You'd have been ran over by <laughs> the killdozer. The <laughs> so it was around 1991, 92. He moved near Granby, Colorado, where he purchased two acres of land for $42,000. Though this wasn't his wow. original plan. This is not something like his, his lifelong goal. Uh, he built another muffler shop on his new property. Hemeyer never married, no kids, single. Well, why would he need? Why would he need to marry when he's got all these mufflers to keep in company? <laughs> um, John Baldry here is a friend of Hemeyer's. Uh, he said that he was a very likable person. Hemeyer's own brother Ken stated that he would bend over backwards for anyone. However, there were many people who uh, described Hemeyer uh, as. It's not so affable. A local resident, Christy Baker, claimed that her husband was threatened by Hemeyer after refusing to pay for a disputed muffler repair. Um, Baker said her husband later paid Hemeyer $124 after being physically threatened. So you don't mess with Marv. You don't mess with Marv. You don't mess with Marv's mufflers. I tell you that. He is very precious about his mufflers. We also ran a garage, too, so we installed mufflers and repaired them as well. So it's a little bit more than just a muffler shop. Marv's, Marv has the greatest mind to know about mufflers in probably the 21st century. I'm 20th, sure sorry, this is the 20th. I'm sure there are other guys that also repair Marv was number one in the muffler world. I'm telling <laughs> <Maybe>. you. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know where you, where you researched that fact, but. I'm, I'm just getting a vibe. In your fantasy? <laughs> um, so not long after uh, settling into his new property. Some trouble started brewing. Oh, no. Hemeyer is approached by one person named Cody Doshef. Now, Cody Doshef was the owner of a, uh, a concrete business called Mountain Park Concrete. Cody approached Hemeyer and he offered him $250,000 to buy his acreage as part of a future home for, uh, for Mountain Park Concrete. Now, keep in mind, um, Marv bought that for $42,000. And so now here's Cody saying, like, here, I'll give you 250000 for it. And so Hemeyer initially agreed to the sale, and they made an agreement. But then, about, I don't know, two months later, he upped the price to $375,000. See, you can't do that here. Once no, you, you, guys, can't, um, you can't do well, that Well, I mean, here. in England, it's a bit different to Scotland, but Scotland has a rules where if you've shook hands, okay. and deal is, that, that deal is set. It's like stone. can't break it. Well, you spit in your hand, right, when you shake it? That's more of, of an American thing. Here we do that thing where we'll like tickle the palm of your finger with our little finger and we'll do like a funny little, how's it? A little, Probably say some slang. A little finger rub, a little wiggle. Uh, a little um, wee winkle, yeah. So yeah, so Hemeyer, they made, a, they made a deal. They shook on it, 250 grand. And uh, Cody Chef was ready to pay him, but then Hemeyer upped it to 375,000. Again, an agreement was met. And so they shook hands. He was ready to pay. But then Hemeyer's like, nah, it's now a million dollars. You can't keep doing this, mate. I know. The guy's a dick. So due to the steep price hike, Cody was like, no, I'm not going to do this. And he backed out of the deal. And so he was sick and tired of dealing with Hemeyer and him flip-flopping and all these agreements that he then instead began negotiating with the Granby, Colorado Zoning Commission to rezone land next to Hemeyer's muffler shop to allow them to continue with their plans for a concrete plant while Hemeyer can just like have his muffler shop. And he's not going to buy his land. He's just going to buy land next to it. Well, Hemeyer disapproved of the rezoning. 
And for the next nine years, he fought everyone from City Hall to the mayor's office to prevent this from happening. So I think he felt he was being screwed. This is such like a male eccentric thing to do. Well, I mean, you know, I'm going to we're going to talk about this as we go through. But I think it all comes down to money. It's not like a small town guy being screwed by like, you know, the, the well, local not- municipality. No, what happened is he kept backing out of deals. And next yeah. thing you know, they're like, well, I'm not going to deal with you. I'm going to deal with the zoning commission. And then they rezone the land. He, still, he might have still had his land. It's just now he's not going to get a million dollars for it. Yeah, what an idiot. He should have worked out the value of his land the first fucking time and just gone one time as opposed to every like six oh, months. But I think it, he's probably already. Even $375,000 is a hell of a lot more than what he originally paid for it. And in Colorado, that's like, you could go and buy a ghost town in Colorado for that and just live out there by yourself and have some fun. Start a radio show, write a stupid book that prisoners will read in, a, in jail, influence a whole load of idiots. Well, you could despite, do it in Colorado. Despite how much he fought uh, to stop the rezoning, in 2001 it was approved and construction on Mountain Park Concrete began right next to uh, Mars Muffler Shop. This sparked another battle between uh, Hemeyer and the city of Granby. He claimed that the newly approved plans for the concrete plant would block his only street access, requiring his customers to pass through Mount Park Concrete's property to get to his goddamn muffler shop. He loves this muffler shop so much. Well, it's his shop. It's his property. And it's unclear whether this complaint was true or not. I don't know. They never verified it. But he ultimately lost his appeal. Now, an interesting thing about, uh, about good old Marv is uh, he made about two and a half hours of, uh, of uh, audio manifesto. He aired his grievances in a manifesto that was about two and a half hours. Unfortunately, I had to listen to all of it because there's no transcript. And it, I, I wanted to, buy, I, you know, I wanted to uh, play some clips. So um, I listened to all of it and, and I uh, pulled out some choice clips. So here's the first one. Um, so he was upset. He was upset at the people, the, uh, you know, the local government of uh, Granby, Colorado, but as well as the citizens of Granby, Colorado. So here's, uh, here's Marv in his own words talking about um, how upset he was. You know, why did they get the easements and I didn't? It was because of malice and hate. Why... Was I so unsuccessful in protecting my property? Because you people needed to be taught a lesson. You all in the all along were thinking that I was the person that needed to be taught a lesson. You were going to show me how it worked in Granby, Colorado. How the real world worked. People, you are so mistaken about the real world. I have lived, I have walked away from what you've done to me, not on the, not on the same scale that you've done to me. Getting confused here. <laughs> he walked away from what? <laughs> you know what I love about men, all of you men, every, every man in the world, that instead of maybe, you know, just taking time out, maybe having a little holiday, maybe just talking to someone, maybe going to therapy and admitting that you need help. You write a manifesto and then you record your manifesto and then you go and destroy a town. Well, you also build a, you know, killing machine out of a bulldozer. 
Yeah, instead of just, you know, being like, I'm overwhelmed and I need some help, please, you know, please can someone help me? (laughs) This is what men do. It's like the Unabomber. It's a matter of pride. All answer scale, I've walked away from it many times before. Laughed at you because knowing, laughed at the people that were doing it to me because you know it's going to come back to haunt them one way or another. This time, I'm not walking away from it. This time, Marv is not walking away. One way so, or another, Marv is going to find you. He's going he's to get, get his revenge. That's why uh, this, this whole story is called Marv's Revenge. Um, so around the same time, after he lost his, uh, the, 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 the case for rezoning, uh, the city cited Hemeyer for two infractions. One, not being connected to the city sewer line. And two, unsightly junk cars strewn all over his property. He was a true, not, yeah, he was a true Hessian. Not in the muffler shop, you're telling me that? I would have thought it would have, he would have kept it pristine and wonderful. Not the muffler shop. No, he had like cars up on bricks, all over. It was unsightly. Uh, connecting to the sewer would cost him an estimated $80,000. Oh, wow. And it would so was he him- shitting at the moment? Was he shitting at the muffler shop or was he just like, I don't know, shitting into a newspaper and taking it home? That's a good question. I don't know where his actual home was. I don't know if his home was, if he lived in, like in the back of the muffler shop or if he lived on a separate property. Oh, would you, right? Could you not just get like a pot a pop? He must live, have lived on the property if they're like, you need to be connected to a septic tank. Well, maybe it was the it's business. Just a shop. But maybe it was the business toilet. Who knows? And they're just in their you know, citing him. So connecting the sewer would cost him an estimated $80,000, plus require him to bring the sewer line through eight feet of Mount Park Concrete's property. So he was going to have to pay them to, uh, to do this, which that oh, enraged Marge. He was, he, Marv was not happy about this. Marge. So he might have balked. He was upset about it. He was embittered. And then uh, Granby slapped him with, uh, with a fine of $2,500, and he paid the fine. And in, uh, on the, the memo line of his check, he wrote, cowards. <gasps> cowards, cur. One of my favorite slang terms, and I use it all the time, is to call someone a cur. A cur. It's, very, it's a dog. Yeah. You're a coward. You're a cur. There's Great. definitely some bitters going on here. Oh, yes. Um, so in early 2003, Hemeyer ended up selling his property for $400,000. Now, keep in mind, uh, Cody... Initially offered him what was it? It was two fifty. Then he upped it to three seventy five. He was willing to pay that, but then uh, he might have tried to up it to a million dollars. But he eventually ended up selling it like a year or two later for four hundred thousand dollars, which is ten times more than what he paid for it. That's some good innings. I mean, like, I'm, how big is this town of Granby? It sounds like a fucking shithole. I mean, a lot of Colorado. Yeah, it's small it's a town, shithole. Colorado. I don't know if it's a shithole or not, but. I will say what I've always wanted to do is I've always wanted to rent an RV and I've always wanted to go and hit up every ghost town in Colorado because there is hundreds of them. I don't know if I'd do it in an RV. It's well, yeah, because you tank. can't, there's not going to be motels there. Yeah, there's motels around there. You just drive. Yeah, but then you got to go like near the major cities. All the ghost towns are like in the middle of nowhere. You'd have to do it in the summer too. You couldn't do it in the winter. All right, you're emptying the septic tank. Um, <laughs> I will connect it for 80,000 pounds. So he sold his property for around $400,000 to a trash company. And he put everything up for auction. But there was one thing that did not sell. A his very pride. large bulldozer. Yeah. <laughs> a very large bulldozer. And so it was around this time that Hemeyer began having religious delusions that God 
was preparing him. God had selected him for a mission. And so he took the bulldozer, not, not selling, as a sign from God that this was his mission. I think God will bless me to get the machine done, to drive it, to do the stuff that I have to do up to a point, and then the machine will do one of two or three times. You're either going to blow me right off the fucking streets, I'm going to have a heart attack and die because I'm all pumped up. The machine's going to break. Or maybe, maybe it'll go all day and I'll run out of fuel. I don't know. I got a lot of fuel in that thing, let me tell you. So I'm trying to be as prepared I as night. I can be to do what I believe needs to be done, what God has inspired me to do. Yeah, this guy is fucking cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I mean, seriously. This is what God, God's like, yes, you need to get in that bulldozer and you need to kill Marv. Do you think Marv ever went muff diving and this is partly his problem? Um, I don't that know. That he has too much fuel in the tank, if you know what I'm saying. I'm thinking, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he did go muff diving because he was unmarried. Didn't say if he was a virgin or not, but he probably was. With his PTSD from probably being in the army because they all come out with emotional dis- disturbance, don't they? Um, so he uh, leased a shed on his former property back from the new owner. And he drove the bulldozer that was not sold through the door and he parked it inside. Um, according to Hemeyer, the bulldozer barely fit through the door, just one inch of clearance, which Amazing. he took as a sign from God. <laughs> um, Everything's going to be a fucking <laughs> sign from God now. He's like so, a white woman with crystals. For the next 18 months, he retrofitted this bulldozer with steel plates as well as homemade armor consisting of both concrete and steel sheets to make what he called his MK tank. Though today everyone calls it the killdozer. Killdozer. Here here he is talking about building that killdozer. Okay. People ask me, what am I doing? Oh, I'm not doing anything. (laughs) I spent the whole summer of 2003 in that friggin' building, uh, lived there without a shower for as much as four four days at a time working on that dozer. I bet you Marv didn't smell very good. Do you know what? I think me and Marv had very similar summers in 2003 because... That could have been the summer when I first played San Andreas. Oh, was it? And you probably didn't 2000... shower. You probably just oh, played I did. it. Mate, I was staying up for like 36 hours to play it. That's how like engrossed I was in it. I think a it was pity, about then when I was about boyfriend. 18, 19. Poor guy had to deal with that. Getting it prepared I was single. <laughs> to do what I have to do. And it was, that's another thing that was so uncanny. We talk about getting caught. Why didn't I get caught? Why haven't I been caught? Or why didn't I get caught up to now? He tells this story on the, uh, on the tape that the city came in to inspect his garage and he just threw a tarp over the killdozer because he didn't want to talk about it. And there's this like crazy crane that he, that he purchased to like, I mean, he basically spent all the rest of his money to build this killdozer. So the whole the whole four hundred right. grand went into it, and so he had this like lift slash crane thing that he was using to build it. And so they're just like, "What's this thing?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, you know, I just use this to uh, go around and you know, kind of pick up objects and just you know, I got I got to move stuff from one part of the the, the warehouse to the other part. You know, that's that's just kind of my machine for that." And so the fact that they're like, okay, and they took that as a sufficient answer and didn't look under the tarp and see the killdozer, guess what that was? 
idiots. No, a sign from God. Oh, yeah, it's a sign from God. <laughs> but that's always the way, though, isn't it? It's like, how big of a thing under a tarp do you need to not be like, what's under the tarp? You, you think you've, it's like, okay, there's this huge, massive thing. I mean, this thing wasn't a, like a small machine. I mean, it was massive, like 61-ton killdozer. Well, listen, oh, here's the specs for, for the killdozer. The armor that he custom-made was over one feet thick. So it was like a foot thick of armor consisting of 5,000 PSI quick right concrete mix sandwiched between, between sheets of tool steel. So he had like two sections of tool steel with armor, like concrete in between the armor. How can the bulldozer still drive with this weight on it? Oh, those things are fucking, well, he modded it out too, but those things are like He's gonna have really to. powerful. Um, I mean, this is like better than anything the A-team could have ever have done. Even this is they like, would have loved to use this. I wish Mythbusters had done this. Also, in 2003, I was getting stoned and watching a lot of Mythbusters. And if I'd have seen them do The Killdozer, I'd have, that would have been a great episode. Hey, you think they would have tried it out and see if it was possible. Um, so that's what we did to make this ad hoc composite armor. This made the machine impervious to small arms fire and resistant to explosives. Uh, according to the online tank museum, Hemeyer's contraption was based on a 49-ton Komatsu D355A bulldozer that once, when he was finished with it, weighed 61 tons. It was huge. And this thing yeah, was massive. It was equipped with three semi-automatic rifles, and Hemeyer <laughs> himself carried two sidearms, one a 357 Magnum that he used to commit suicide. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> he installed a cooling system... He had cameras to allow him to see where he was going and three gun ports. I mean, this thing, this thing, this should be in a video. There should be a video game called Killdozer. And there's some, yeah. Like, it sounds like cathartic. something that should have been in a GTA, a GTA side mission, definitely. And so he had uh, a 50 caliber and a two 5.56 millimeter rifles through these gun ports. Over the cameras, he installed three inch thick bulletproof glass complete with air jets to blow away any debris that might obstruct his view. So, I mean, he thought it all... Yeah, no, I mean, this guy's very thorough. But the most unique feature of the Killdozer was its lack of an entrance slash exit. Instead of building the armor plating entirely onto his bulldozer, he fashioned the top separately to be lifted by a crane that he controlled, like, remotely. So he had a remote control for this crane... So once it, it, it put the, uh, the, the latch, the plate on top of it, he was trapped inside. Well, until the oxygen ran out, or did he have a plan? Did it no, he put a coolant. oxygen? Yeah, he had a coolant thing in there, so he could have gone as long as he wanted. It, it just like, there was, so the hatch couldn't be breached by law enforcement, but he wasn't going to be able to escape out of this. This was a suicide mission. Okay, hear me out on this. Have you seen a Centura 2? Ace Ventura 2? I don't know if I have. Probably. You know the scene in Ace Ventura 2, right, that you haven't seen? When he's inside the robotic rhino, and then he has to crawl out of the robotic rhino. Oh, through the ass. I did see that. (laughs) Yeah. If I was going to make a kill dozer, I would make a kill rhino. And I would be, and mine would be very similar to Ace Ventura too. I would just like soup up this rhino, maybe make it huge. Isn't there a Transformers? Transformers like a rhino. Anyways, that's what I'd do. But I'd certainly have an exit hole that was the rhino's ass. Where would I you put survive. the? Well, you'd want to climb out the ass too. Uh, In where... front of everyone on live TV, it would be amazing. Where would you put the rifles? Uh, in the tusks. In the tusks, oh, I would so have like semi-automatic just... rifles firing from the tusks. I guess I could see that. Maybe missiles or something. 
Missiles um, would be even cooler from a rhino. So in the final weeks leading up to June 2004 Rampage, uh, he made seven recordings, two hours and 45 minutes of audio. And people, you can just search search for the He Meyer tapes if you want to hear it. But it begins with him just talking about how he got screwed over and he's just constantly mentioning how much money he lost and how much money everybody owes owes him. Right. And then like how the town of Granby came together to, to, to fuck him over. But then by the third tape, he's full on mental. He's talking about like how he's on a mission from God and everybody's going to get it. Yeah, it's like a full-blown rage, ranting about his grievances and his need for revenge. He calls the entire town just a, uh, of Granby just a bunch of backstabbers. So listen to this. This is him uh, like at, at peak insanity. It is not my fault. What that one guy say? Those who made me your enemies or enemy, those who made me your enemy, they are the guilty ones. The Thompsons are guilty. The Dochefs are guilty. The Granby Town Board is guilty. The Granby Planning Commission is guilty. My neighbors are guilty. He's like Judge Dredd here. He is. This is like <laughs> a shit list from yeah, half. It's everybody's wrong. guilty. Except him. It took all of you 10 years to get me. And you got me, no doubt about it. I got screwed big time. We talked today about it to Dave Patner. He knows I got fucked. And he knows that they do it. And they get away with it. There's nothing you can do about it, he says. Well, I'm going to do something about it. It may only change people for a generation. Maybe two. May not change them at all. Maybe make them worse. That's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, no, he's made up his mind. He's got a resolution. He's about to kill. And so also in the tape, in the especially tape three, he speaks about God, that God prepared him for this, that uh, God planned it way before he was born. Like, this is like God knew that it's, this was his destiny. Um, he also said that God you know, made him stay single and successful so he wouldn't have family to worry about. And he'd have the finances to build the machine. Kind of like Noah with the ark, you know? Noah had a wife, D. And many kids, too. Yeah. Um, this is a great clip here because this kind of shows you the mindset of Marv right before the rampage. I have been beaten to a point where I'm not going to take it anymore. And believe We're me, I have been beaten take in my it. life. I have lost a greater fortune than I have, without a doubt. But I don't think that's what God had planned for me. I think God expected me to get that. And he expects me to do something to those who kept me now from getting that. (laughs) From getting what I deserved. Well, I will get what I deserve in trying to make this justice, to get this, uh, make this all right. I will get what I deserve. But I'm not afraid of death. That was another thing. There's a movie I watched said, you know, there's a lot of things that will gnaw a man's uh, heart and soul. A lot worse than death. And, you know, this will gnaw at me for the rest of my life. And I'm not going to live with it. So he's ready to die. 
Yeah, like he, he's, he's not going to ex- be living with anything, Marv, because you, yeah. you've basically got a suicide date already picked out. Yeah, no, he thinks it's a sign from God, and this is, you know, this is his destiny. And that, you know, another thing, too, he was mentioning in the tapes that, you know, they could have stopped him if he just got one sign, just one sign that God didn't from want him God. to go through this plan. He would have stopped, you know, and dismantled the MK tank, but it never happened. And guess what that hey. is? A sign from God. Hey, Marv, here's your sign from God. There is no God. There's your sign. <laughs> what a wanker. I have He's, no sympathies for him. No, his his plan of mayhem was uh, was was the cross that he carried in God's name. I love the fact it's very ironic it usually is because he's calling everyone in town a basic coward when he's about to perform the most cowardly act upon the whole town well he doesn't see it that way he said it's god's will being done through him he's basically says he's a martyr like he's like a jesus figure like a christ figure sacrificing himself for god to destroy this town now might have been if he was doing it in a rhino possibly um Actually, I don't know. I don't know if the rhino would have been as effective as the killdozer. If you listen to this I rampage, think... well, okay. I, I just don't think the rhino was outfitted with with enough like munitions. No, I'm saying you would soup up the rhino and make it like a killing rhino. Because if you saw a rhino in the wild, you would shit yourself. So if you're suddenly in like what downtown Shitsville, Colorado, and you see a rhino in the middle of the street, that's probably more terrifying to you than a bulldozer that you're kind of used to seeing. I don't know, unless it was a massive rhino, a 61-ton bulldozer outfitted with firearms kind of scares me a little more than a rhinoceros. <laughs> I don't, I don't even think you... the rhino. No, this thing, was, this thing was, was intimidating. So listen to the rampage here. At approximately 2 p.m., June 4, 2004, Marvin Hemeyer completed his killdozer, and he said, it's time to kill in the name of God. And so um, he mailed his tape recordings to his brother, so he, he did this just because he wanted people to hear the manifesto because he knew the media was going to demonize him. And he climbed inside the tank. He even supposedly greased the exterior to make it harder to, for people to climb on top of it. And then he used a remote-controlled crane to lift the final the hatch on top and sealed himself inside for the rest of his life. And so he brought two handguns. Um, that was about it. That's what I thought was really odd. No mention of any booze or cocaine or even a Red Bull. He just a couple handguns. Wouldn't you have brought snacks? I, mean, I would have bought a little snacky snack, yeah, just for like my one last meal. I don't know what I would take as a little snack. It would depend on the mood. Maybe like a banana bread. I would just eat a whole loaf of banana bread because who cares? Cause I'm about to fucking die. I would have been like uh, like uh, fucking uh, Tony Montana, just a mountain of cocaine, just like yeah, driving that thing around, I- you know? I would have had that, but like you would want to eat something delicious, I feel. Just like one last delicious thing to cross your lips. Well, so maybe this, a muffler. The killdozer now is sixty one tons. It's Kill massive. Dozer. Couldn't fit through the bay door anymore into in the in the warehouse. It down. So he just drove through the side of the garage. Uh, the first target for revenge was Mountain Park concrete plant, of course, <laughs> which is the source of all of his troubles. Um, oh so my. with a 410 horsepower engine, I mean, that thing is, is going to go, I mean, it's not super fast and it only moves about seven miles per hour, but it's a pretty strong motor. Um, he smashed over and over into the concrete plant. Um, one of the concrete plants, heavy equipment operators tried to block the road using his own, um, uh, vehicle, but, uh, he might barreled down on him and just turned his driver right over and he just slammed into it, pushed him out of the way. 
And then he Meyer says, sites for the town, the town of Granby. And so nice. here's a list of targets. The bank, the electric company, <laughs> the local newspaper that editorialized against him, a construction company, the police station, the former mayor's home, the town hall, the library, and the hardware store. Like, he had it all mapped out. <laughs> the library? What oh, has yeah. the library done to him? What, they, they charged him when his books are overdue? <laughs> No, he was pissing everyone. He was just going to take the town apart with the kill. You know what? I would throw the school in there, so then you can be a school like massacre as well. Well, Why not? If you're going to do it, go for it. Well, funny you should say that because I guess it was like the school was on some kind of field trip to the local library, so it was the library was (gasps) filled with children at this time. So right, it was about a like a two hour rampage. I say some people have. Some some articles about it said around 90 minutes. Other articles said around two hours and seven minutes. So it was somewhere between 90 minutes and two hours. He demolished the town of Granby. And the police just kind of tried to stop him, but they were sort of helpless because there was nothing they could do. None of their what ammunition worked, including armor-piercing rounds. Nothing penetrated the killdozer. Even at one point, a SWAT team member dropped a flashbang grenade down the exhaust pipe. Nothing happened. Amazing. I bet he was inside just laughing his head off. C4 explosives did nothing. Uh, There are three external explosions and more than 200 rounds of ammunition fired at that bulldozer with no effect. I mean, he outfitted that thing like a fucking beast. It needs, like, obviously drone attacks aren't a thing then, but it needs a drone attack to stop it. Well, I'll get to that in a second. Um, At one point, Sheriff Glenn Trainer climbed atop the still-moving uh, bulldozer, and he rode Shit. it like a Bronco Buster, trying to figure <laughs> out a way to get a bullet inside the dragon, he called it. But then he learned that he might have sealed himself inside, so there's no getting in there, and he jumped off before he was uh, hit with some debris. Um, local authorities and the Colorado State Patrol feared that they're running out of options. And so uh, they were worried that he was going to start going through, uh, like, residential homes and neighborhoods, just smashing the entire town. So the governor, Bill Owens, he allegedly considered authorizing the National Guard to use an Apache attack helicopter (gasps) equipped with Hellfire missiles or a two-man fire team equipped with a Javelin anti-tank missile to take take down the killdozer. Send the Apache helicopter in. I have always wanted to go inside of an Apache. That's like my dream helicopter to be inside of is an Apache. Well, it didn't happen. Plus, people are thinking the uh, you know the the potential for collateral damage would have been probably much higher <laughs> than uh, than just kind of trying to wait till the thing runs out of gas. I guess. Um, now, Governor Owen's staff still completely. Governor Owen and his staff deny it saying that we never thought about doing that. But members of the uh, state police said, oh, yeah, he did consider authorizing the attack, but decided against it because of the potential of damage um, to civilians. But so what ended up happening here is um, his, uh, his bulldozer ended up becoming trapped in the basement of a hardware store. Oh, the one that he had deliberately gone to destroy. Yeah. So it was one yeah. of his targets. So meanwhile, he was like leveling buildings, crushing cars, firing, you know, and the, you know, the entire time with the rifles at police. Um, he even tried to fire upon uh, power transformers and propane tanks, hoping it would cause massive explosions. What but, a wanker. He really but, wants to just kill everyone. Just wreak havoc. He hates them. But it turns out that the heavy equipment operator who he had like, you know, brushed aside so easily at the, uh, the concrete plant, 
he he came down and was following him, and he ultimately stopped the rampage. So as Hemeyer was smashing through Gamble's hardware store, the heavy equipment operator moved his grader behind the killdozer. Um, so with no distance to gain enough speed to push the grader aside, because before he was going top speed, seven miles per hour, yeah, yeah. easily push it out of the way, but now he couldn't. Hemeyer was instead forced to plow ahead through the hardware store. Little did he know there was a basement. And the killdozer fell inside, becoming hopelessly stuck. Oh shit! That guy's kind of like a local hero then, because I just would have been like, "Fuck, I'm I'm not dealing with this." Well, what no one else you? knew what to do. I mean, you'd think someone could take like a bus or something and put the bus in front of it. But I think he just would have run over the bus, smashed it to smithereens. This guy is like a, a local hero for saving this like shitty town. So as law enforcement swarmed over the killdozer to, uh, to, to, to stop Marv, they heard a single gunshot. And then it would be nearly 10 hours before they were able to breach the killdozer's hull. I mean, they had to use, like, you know, different, uh, you know, welders came and welding tools. And, I mean, it took, like, 10 hours to get through the armor. Marv, all in all, damaged 13 buildings. He knocked out natural gas service to the town hall and the concrete plant. He damaged a truck and destroyed part of a utility service center. Uh, The total damage was estimated at $7 million. But despite all of this damage to the property, no one besides Hemeyer, who died by a self-inflicted gunshot wound, was killed in the event. So there were no human uh, casualties other than uh, Marv himself throughout the entire rampage. That's really good. Did like the police just mobilize and clear the whole area? Yes, they did. They actually had a uh, they they call it like a reverse nine one one call, which uh, alerted all the residents to like get out of town. Oh, so like nowadays you get it on your mobile phone, but it yeah, was like the, like the nearest phone to them back then. So much two thousand three. No, this is two thousand five. Was it two thousand four? So much of uh, Hemeyer's rampage was televised the entire time. So people were following this. I remember when this happened. I mean, this was such a huge deal. I mean, this guy went on like, I mean, basically destroyed a town. Um, And he was almost immediately hailed as a true American patriot and hero by far-right anti-government groups. How can he be a patriot when he's destroying the very land that he is apparently supposed to love? It's completely backwards. If you're a patriot, you don't destroy the country you love. He's a martyr for freedom. He's standing. How? He's standing up against corruption. He's a little guy taking on a corrupt government. That's that, in Mars' mind. It was corruption. So here's no, Marv. but there is no corruption. He's a little dickweed. Well, in his mind, and in the mind of these anti-government types, he was being screwed over by the government. And so here's uh, in Marv's own words. It's about nine ten o five on uh, the thirteenth of April two thousand and four. Uh, I want to say that I believe that I am a an American patriot. I believe in the free enterprise system. I believe in a level playing field of competition. Um, If you want to change that level playing field of competition to your advantage, basically you give me license to do that also when my opportunity comes around. So he, in his mind, he gets screwed over by the government. No, he like, doesn't. He's they such a re- fucking whiny bitch. He was an outsider in this town of Granby. He only lived there for 10 years. And someone who's a, you know, been born and raised there, that guy Cody, just went to the zoning commission. And so they rezoned the land. And he thinks in his mind that, you know, he was uh, probably gave them a bribe or whatever it was 
to get them to rezone the land, and so he was screwed over. So in his mind, he was just trying to protect his property. And so amongst the anti-government types, like the Oath Keepers and all those type of people, like the, uh, the, 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 the far-right wingbats, um, he's seen as an inspiration, the underdog getting back at the government elite. Um, there were calls for the Killdozer to be set up as a tourist attraction. Completely dismissed. I, um, it, I kind it, of agree with that, though. They should have kept it. And I also think he missed a trick by not put, putting like a video camera or a voice recorder inside the uh, Killdozer so that his final moments could have been recorded. Yeah, that, that would have been a good idea, just for posterity. But libertarian yeah. and right-wing circles were uh, calling for the Killdozer to be set up as a tourist attraction. And they, they claim that June 4th is known as Killdozer Day, which in those uh, far-right fringe groups, that's like a holiday for them. Killdozer Day. To prevent Granby, though, from becoming a mecca to these uh, you know, fringe groups, uh, the Killdozer was cut up and its parts were scattered at several different scrapyards. So he was destroyed. What type of food do you think they serve on like Killdozer Day? Do you think like cakes are made that look just like Killdozer? Is there like a particular type of dip that you would serve? I'm picturing like the same type of Fourth of July meals, like hot dogs, you know, apple pie, yeah, that kind of thing. Maybe sloppy Joe. A very strong alcoholic cocktail, I think. You would. And there should be a Killdozer cocktail. There will Um, be. So though he caused millions of dollars in damage, I mean, destroyed a whole town, uh, he Meyer's fans here point out that the only person who died that day was Marvin. That's it. No other human lives were taken during that entire uh, rampage. And so his defenders claim that he made a point of not hurting anybody during the bulldozer rampage. They say he Meyer went out of his way not to harm anyone. No, he didn't. Now, it's just because the police were kind of good that day. Well, to sane people, you know the ones who don't think the election was stolen or that Tom Hanks and Hillary Clinton are leaders of a satanic pedophile ring, uh, they feel that he might was a mentally disturbed maniac carrying out an act of terrorism. And I mean, this well, is how, won. yeah, exactly. This is how the police and most of the Granby, Colorado, you know, Granby, Colorado residents saw him. Uh, the sheriff's department even argued that the fact that no one was injured is almost more of just like a miracle, like good luck, because he had installed rifles that he was shooting indiscriminately at power transformers, propane tanks, you know, police officers. Had those tanks ruptured, an explosion could have just, like, you know, destroyed buildings and killed many other people. Um, and I'm surprised an errant bullet didn't, didn't kill somebody. I mentioned before the town library, there was a children's program in progress during the rampage. And there was even a Catholic church on his hit list. So he didn't yeah, know who was in these buildings. It's not like he was planning to uh, spare people's lives and just take out the, you know, the government, the government buildings. He went to a, you know, a civilian's uh, um, hardware store. What if there were yeah. shoppers, you know? Um, but yeah, the, the police ended up doing a great job doing that reverse 911 call and warning people to get out of the way. Um, but his rampage demonstrated that, uh, that, that his, this observation here that just kind of shows you the mindset of uh, of Marv, the newspaper office destroyed for merely printing opinions different from his own on you know on everything from like legalized gambling to zoning. He held grudges for years about this, years. You know, maybe maybe he wasn't set, set up to kill somebody, but he was definitely willing to kill. 
Oh yeah. You I know? wonder how he would feel about uh, Denver being the first place to legalize weed. I wonder if that would really ground his gears. I wonder. I don't know. I don't really know his stance on that, but maybe. I mean, he's kind of a libertarian, so he might be happy about it. That's true. Uh, but but all in all, I mean, I think what it comes down to, it's, it's, it's kind of like what you mentioned before. I think this guy had some major mental health issues. He suffered, obviously, from paranoid delusions, um, a persecution complex. I mean, throughout the tapes, he's saying, I believe with all my heart. I'm convinced that this is a mission from God, you know? Um, he thought the townsfolk were angry with him for buying his property, you know, for, for such a low cost and that they were jealous of his money and success. They're jealous of his muffs. That's his exactly many muffs. Is. He is the muff king of this town. And then look at the religious, you know, how many times he was like naming God and God's told me to do this and God, you know, put me on this mission before I was born. I think he saw himself as a martyr, sacrificing himself for God and his cause. Well, Gob's always the cop out, though, isn't it? You can use God as a nice cover up for so you can never really get to the root of all your problems. Like I said, if this man had just admitted to one person that he needs therapy and gone to see a therapist, things might have been fucking different. He probably should have. I mean, he was definitely depressed. I mean, unmarried, suicidal. I mean, he, he was definitely he was planning to kill himself. Yeah. You know, in the tapes, he talked about himself as worthless and unwanted, like wasting uh, his entire life. Um, so, you know, I'm not surprised he would say I'm, uh, I'm not afraid of death and go on a rampage like this. If you think about it, he's a middle-aged incel, this guy, at 51 he's, years yeah, old. Yeah, definitely. You know, he saw himself as a victim. And uh, the townsfolk were somebody that uh, deserved his revenge. But, you know, to, to the... Doesn't even matter if you point this out. People on the far right call him the last great American folk hero. You know, someone who stood up for his beliefs, who took on a corrupt establishment, and when he couldn't beat it, he tried to take it down his way with a killdozer. Yeah, so he's just like Timothy McVeigh then. You might as well say Timothy McVeigh has done exactly the same thing and the Unabomber. You know, I was thinking that Tarantino should make this movie with Thomas Jane playing Marvin. Yeah. Don't you oh think my that'd God, be great? I would totally watch that. But <laughs> at the end, um, at the end, I wanted to have like a shoot off with a rhino, a souped up rhino, and I, uh, Thomas Jane can't ever die. So Thomas oh, yeah. Jane has to live. The guy in the rhino will die. Did he die at the end of the mist? I can't remember. No. Oh, no. Well, don't, whoever, don't spoil it. never don't not spoil seen it. the mist. Great Sorry, movie, spoiled. by the way. Thomas Jane, yeah. fantastic actor. Um, so I guess, I mean, he's a polarizing figure, this, this, this Marvin Hemeyer. To some, you know, he's a, he's a, a, a true American patriot, the last American folk hero, but to others, a deranged maniac hell-bent on destroying a town. You know what, I'm from a shithole little town that I didn't like either. But you know what you do when you don't like where you live and where you don't like the people where Move. you live? You just fucking move. You just move. That's you know, that simple. An editor at the newsroom that, that uh, Meyer destroyed um, argued, his name is Patrick Brower, he argued that uh, Meyer is far from any kind of hero or, or, or legend. Uh, he said, how many people lose petty zoning fights with the government in America? Happens all the time. Everybody. That's not an excuse to go out and tear a town to pieces and shoot at people. Yeah, get over it, Marv. I think the only victim, you know, Marv really was, was a victim to his own greed and vengeful hatred. That's it. 
I mean, he wasn't screwed over. I think he had a persecution complex. And you can listen to the uh, the tape manifesto where he's talking about all the the, the money, like money. And this guy screwed me out of this much, $57,000, $150,000. It's all money because the guy was a greedy fuck, a bitter, greedy fuck, you know? Great mechanic, though. Got to give him that. And he was pretty good at that. Yeah. Um, the most famous phrase attributed to Heemeyer is, I was always willing to be reasonable until I had to be unreasonable. Sometimes reasonable men must do unreasonable things. Um, the killdozer coming to theaters. I read a blog, though, that quoted a YouTube psychologist, Dr. Uh, Grande here, who countered that statement, said, sometimes an unreasonable man must make up reasons to do unreasonable things. And I think that's definitely the, the, case, the case here. A hundred percent. Anyway, people, go check it out. Uh, you can do a YouTube search for Marvin Heemeyer, and you can see the Killdozer in action. It's definitely impressive looking at this, uh, this, this monolithic beast just destroying a town. And Sean Nelson's, too. Yeah, the Sean Nelson tank rampage, too. You know, it's, it's what happens when, uh, when, when people use killing machines. But I got to say, the tank and the Killdozer are, are a bit more effective than a Mini Cooper. And a lot sexier, please. <laughs> anyway, people, this is episode 857 here is Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next, 323-522-4032. But first, here's a quick message. Hey, guys. It's me, Stephen. I'm a huge fan of your show. Thanks to your awesome coupon code, Diddle, I can buy myself loads of good sex toys since both of my wives died and my Logaric's disease got pretty bad let's just say things in the bedroom got pretty boring but thanks to adamandeve.com and coupon code diddle d-i-d-d-l-e I'm now so we got a few phone calls to get to. 323-522-4032 is that number. Or you can email us, sickroundpodcast at uh, gmail.com. Uh, don't send me a message through Facebook, like a, a, an audio message through Facebook. I hate that. I really do. Uh-oh. I'll do it just to piss off D. I'll put a curse on your family. Jew curse. A Yiddish curse. A Yiddish curse on your family if you do it. Um, all right. Well, this first call came in from uh, Buffalo Bill, who's about to embark on a road trip with his missus. Nice. Howdy, K-N-D. It is Buffalo Bill. Um, exciting news. In a... In about a week and a half's time, uh, my lovely girlfriend and I will be driving from Canada down to the Yeehaw State of Texas. Holy shit. That's a long drive. I would love to do that drive. Do you think they're going through California or just doing like a... Actually, he hasn't said where in Canada they are. I thought he's from like Toronto area. That's the East Coast. So he'd be going through East, like the East Coast of the States. I'm assuming. And then just zipping across. Because if he's in Vancouver, and then he'd go through California. Well, Washington, Oregon, California. Yeah. Um, 
If we drive along the eastern seaboard, is there anything we should do or see? Yeah, eastern. Salem. Perhaps. Salem. I was going to say visit Harrison's grave. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I wonder, I haven't heard anything about where he's buried. or He's not, I think I heard he was cremated, but I didn't hear anything about, like, his if he's put in a cemetery or anything. Being interred. I would want to visit visit Rhode Island. It seems like a really cool place to go. And they probably have old cemeteries there too. I'm not sure. Well, yeah, they've got all the vampires of Rhode Island. It's like super fucking old. All along the east, the east coast, there's loads of, loads of shit to go see. Oh, no, there's a lot of dark tourist sites. Salem is definitely at the very, towards the top of my list. I've never been there. I've never been to Maine. Yeah, I really want to go really... to Boston as well. I really want to go and see where the Boston Strangler just like I would love to walk his roots. Yeah, that'd be cool. That doesn't seem like in good taste. <laughs> um, yeah, if anybody has any recommendations for anything to do on the Eastern Seaboard, Martha's uh, Vineyard. Let me know. Uh, Martha's Vineyard isn't true crime, but it'd be cool to see. Well, yeah, that's isn't John Belushi's buried out there, isn't he? Is Isn't he buried at Martha's Vineyard? I'm not sure. I thought that's like where all the presidents go to vacation. Isn't that also where um, uh, Jaws is filmed? No, Jaws is in Cape Cod, right? Was that Cape Cod? I'm probably getting them confused. But I think it's around the same area. I mean, it's all these tiny, like, uppity islands. Well, I don't know where he's going down the East Coast, but uh, if you're by Philly, I'd stop at the Muda Museum. That'd be cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the Muto Museum and Tim Ted on the Discord, he recently said that that's open for like private viewings now. And if you go to Buffalo, New York, you've got to get yourself a garbage plate. I don't eat meat, but I've always wanted to try a garbage plate. I would break my like vegetarianism for a garbage plate. What is a garbage plate? To say I don't know. Jenna Marbles made it yonks ago. She's from like that part of New York, and it's like um, what mac and cheese. And then a different type of like macaroni salad, potato salad, I think, chili. It's like a load of shit on a plate that this guy invented in a de- in a diner that he would give all the college kids, and they all started calling it a garbage plate. And now it's like the food of God, Buffalo. That sounds New York. very American. It's like all American food is garbage plate. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where all together on a plate you would think it was disgusting, but once you load up your fork, it's like the ultimate bite. It's only in Buffalo? I think it's Buffalo. I am uh, forgetting where Jenna Marbles is from because she's left the internet um, and I can't remember now. Buffalo's right by uh, Niagara Falls. Not that far. I really want to go to Niagara Falls. I want to go to both sides because the the Canadian side is like still all 1950s. There was that film, David Cronenberg was in it. He didn't direct it, but he's in it. And they go to all the famous like Niagara on the opposite side parts because they've got that diner that's like a I've UFO. Eaten I've eaten there before. Yeah. We went there and, at, uh, as a, it was like my first job out of college. We went there on like a business trip to go to a couple clients and they took us to that. We ate lunch at that diner. I would totally go to that diner. I'd be like, yes, sir, we're doing business because you brought me here. It was really funny because this guy was like, so we were sales reps and we were, I was working for this industrial supply company called McMaster Car Supply Company. And so we went there to go talk to one of our clients who was also a sales right. guy. And we're chatting with him. The whole time we're sitting there, I was like, you know, trying to, I didn't really say much. My man, my boss kind of did. 
And so he was like talking it up. And the whole time the guy's just like, you want to know why I love this place? Because all the young girls. And this dude had to have been like in his 50s. He's like, you know, the skirts get shorter every year. I come and I here. stay the yeah, same he's like, age. I, yes, I come I here do. every week just to like hang out. You know what I'm saying? He's like, you know, good old boy. I was just like, okay. <laughs> Right. I had to. I just had to look Herbert. it up because it was annoying me. But Jenna Marbles is from Ro- Ro- oh, Rochester. 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 Yeah, that's a little college south. town. That's a little further south. Yeah, University of Rochester. Um, <laughs> Buffalo Bill. I would recommend Murder Museum definitely. But there's two places in West Virginia that have been my, on my list for a long time. Uh, the West Virginia Penitentiary in Moundsville. Oh, I really want to go to that yeah, as well. It's an yeah, infamous former prison. One of the most, like, once the most dangerous felons. There's like a supermax were incarcerated there. Um, but then, uh, I don't know, they shut it down, I think. I think they shut it in the 90s. But it's a, it's a tourist attraction. You can go walk through it. I mean, they were like violence, riots, escapes. I mean, it's a, it's a really cool looking prison. And also in West Virginia is the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. You heard of that? I've one? probably watched. Yeah, I've probably seen like uh, urbex videos of that. Oh, one for sure, YouTube. people went there. But it was like a former mental hospital in West Virginia, which looks like totally neo-gothic. It's cool looking. It looks like Arkham. But I've out always wanted to go two, there. Out of the two Virginias, like if they were to fight each other, and who would win in a fight between like Virginia and West Virginia? My money is on West Virginia, just beasting Virginia. Maybe I, I can't imagine they'd fight though. Well, I mean, they did fight, and that's why there's West Virginia. Well, a long time ago, Virginia. yeah. Um, I, but I can't imagine them fighting now. Maybe. I just think West Virginia is like gnarlier but better. You know, the I Mothman is from there. I don't really know. I haven't really been there. I, go I see the Mothman, even... Buffalo Bill. Find him for yeah, us. Yeah, go find the Mothman, Buffalo Bill. <laughs> oh, my God. Bye. <laughs> All right. Bye. <laughs> Oh, is well, that what uh, he said? Bye. Yeah, let us I know. He said, oh, uh, my. Yeah, let us know when uh, what, what you end up uh, getting up to there, Buffalo Bill. Always good to hear from him. Um, second call we have here is a little longer than usual, but it's a pretty good one. It's the Twisted Firestarter <gasps> with a shit story. I love him. Do you love him or do you love shit stories? I love both, but I really, <laughs> especially enjoy Twisted Firestarter's phone calls. This is the Twisted Firestarter speaking. Kate, you have cut me deep, girl. You said, and I quote, Why would I go to Dartmoor? What is down there for me? What about your little twisted fire starter? Hey? Eh? Oh, he's from Dartmoor? Is that is that a Dartmoor accent? I mean, like, look, I would go, if somebody said, come down to Dartmoor, there's this here. I know there's the ponies there, so I could go, like, horse riding across, like, whatever the fucking hills of Dartmoor are called. Like, the darks of Dartmoor. But what, what am I going to do there? It's like Cornwall. What? It's not for me. Is Dartmoor, Dartmoor's in, like, the south area? Like yeah, south it's kind region. of like you come out of Cornwall, and instead of going up to, like, Gloucestershire, there's, there's like, Dartmoor. It's all these, like, dark and brooding hills. Hmm. Is it a shithole? Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm, I, I'm down here setting the whole of the West Country ablaze. And I'm, I'm not even getting a mention. Bloody hell. D, you need to sort your woman out. Oh, believe me, I've tried. <laughs> no, I've tried to no avail. I don't think it'll ever happen. Get her in order. You're married now. You have certain obligations to the world that you need to uphold. Okay? 
She wears the pants, Firestarter. This is like when <laughs> Axel Rose told uh, Kurt Cobain to tell Courtney to shut up, bitch. And he just went, shut up, bitch. <laughs> See, that's what it's like. This is what it's reminding me of. All right, Twisted Firestar. I'll always remember that there is one man who lives in Dartmoor. And his name is Twisted Firestar. I don't have a point of reference. I've never been to Dartmoor. So I don't know if it is a shithole or not. I've driven through it to get to Cornwall, and that's it. I've never stopped in Dartmoor. Anyway, until then, I've got a lovely little shit story for you. Nice. So Brilliant. it's actually the genesis of all my shit stories. This is the first, well, first one as an adult. Uh, apparently when I was a baby. It's like a prequel to all his other shit stories. <laughs> yeah, I love that he's got a handful of these stories. <laughs> I shit myself so much it all came up out the top of my nappy and up under my armpits. <laughs> and mother and father had to put me in the shower and hose me off. But um, anyway, this is when I was in basic training again. So. Probably not much has changed. I love yeah. the fact that his life really began when he went to the, for the for the better and the worse. His life really began when he went well, to the army. I think I think that happened to a lot of people. I think it opened up their horizons. You know, it's like they lived in this Completely. tiny little community. You know, and then they finally get out of that, and then they meet other people from other cities and and cultures or whatever and i think it's it's mind expanding the military sort of <laughs> till you start killing things army story there crossover all right um and i'm i'm one of those like nervous shitters you know when when i start getting nervous or worried about something i just gotta have a lovely poo and isn't that like an ibs thing no, I think it happens to some people. It's just like they, you know, have a nervous stomach. So they'll like just like go have a poo? shit. It's like some drugs. You know you're coming up because you're going to go for a shit. Well, no, I understand that. But it's because they have they're cut with something that's like, you know, like a like a, a, a shit stimulant. But I'm just saying like my sister, when she gets anxiety, immediately has diarrhea. It's like a that's a trigger. Yeah, but I don't think he's saying he's immediately had diarrhea. He just needs to go for a shit. Well, he said lovely poo. <laughs> lovely, lovely. We were on, um, it was the first ever company OC's inspection. And that's a big deal, that is. Your OC, your, your company OC, he's a major. He's a big deal. And it's basic training and he's an even bigger deal. And on your first fucking one, it's like the biggest deal up until that point. And... We've been cleaning for fucking hours, and I think we had to be stood by our beds like an hour before he, he's even scheduled to turn up. And I'm starting to need a shit because I'm <laughs> nervous. It's like waiting for Godot. I would have been... <laughs> I don't know. I, that's the one thing about the military is I kind of... Same thing with my, my job. It's just like I hate the fucking egotistical pricks that are just like because of my rank or because of my position it's like you gotta fucking like you know adore me lavish me with praise give me utmost respect i'm just kind of like fuck you when i had when i was uh, doing my a levels over here i was i did a photography a level and i was thinking like where can i take this further what can i get um a layer where can i take my photography and i, I was big into like um sean flynn at the time you know errol flynn's son oh yeah yeah I discovered him and he's a fantastic photographer and I, I love loads of photographers like Man Ray. I was like, fuck it. You know what? I could just join the army and become a photographer. But like, there's no way I am getting up. I'm just not getting up. 
like yeah. to do it. But it's not it's not just getting up in the morning. It's like having your bed made perfectly and you're standing yeah. at attention. It's just like, fuck you. I think my dad would have been good at doing that because he was a very like meticulous person. Yeah, but he would have been I'm too not drunk. like, who cares if my shoes aren't shined? Like, I just want to have a nice life. <laughs> that would have been me taking war, for, war pictures. Like, I just want a nice life. I just can't be asked with this. I'm flying home. See ya. What's your major malfunction, Private Rambo? I just can't be bothered. <laughs> so I just can't they be bothered. They would have kicked you out. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to get bothered. and shout it at. And it, it, it's, I'm just like, oh, okay, let's just hold it. It, it. it won't be too bad. I can just hold it. And <laughs> we stood there fucking ages. He's late because, of course, he's late. Why the fuck wouldn't he be late? Because fuck me, right? And um, I'm like, look, I, I say it gets to the point where I'm about to shit myself. So I'm like, look, I've, I say to the guys in my room, I've got to go to the toilet. Like, you are not going to the toilet. We've just cleaned it. You're going to get all of us fucked. And I'm like, look, I, I don't. I don't care. I don't care. I'm going. So I start just going out and they actually block the door and like push me back and start threatening to beat me up if I... It was like... <laughs> um, Full metal jack. Wait, wait a second. Does, does he take just like really messy shits or something? I would have been one of the people pushing him back. No, because I imagine they were they were scrubbing that bathroom with a fucking toothbrush to get it ready for this like corporal lieutenant or whatever. And then five, the guy's already late. He's about to show up any second. And this little dillweed in our platoon or whatever the fuck they call it is wanting to go and take a really nasty shit. I would be so angry at him right now. He just wants to curl one off. It's like, it's how long? <laughs> I mean, it's not going to take that long. And he just Lit. like quickly courtesy flush done. Done and done. Have, sh- have some form of shit control. Just like have some shit control. It's pretty easy to not shit. He should get some depends. I really am the living embodiment of Private Pile. Uh, yeah, they're threatening <laughs> to like punch me and stuff. If if I try and get out of the room, then they're really physically restraining me, and I shit myself, and I'm so oh oh god, and then. Like magic, the full screw walks in. It's like, right, the OC isn't coming, so I'm going to do your inspection. And I, I'm, I can't, I can't hide this. I've just got to tell him. So I'm like, Corporal, I've shit myself. And I'll, he's staring at me in incredulity. I wonder if this is before or after they took him to that Swedish prostitute to lose his virginity. I think this is before. This is before. Like he's still a virgin who's just shit his pants at this point in his life. He's like, what? Uh, I shit myself. And the, f- the first thing he does, no compassion at all. He just, he makes me mark time on the spot, which is basically marching on the spot. Ah. And the thing with that is you need to have ah. your upper legs parallel to the floor and your knees at right angles. So you're really bringing them up high Mushing and slamming them down. And it's just mashing all the shit in, like, in between my ass cheeks and my pants. And everyone in the room is laughing at me. Like, actually, it's pointing and laughing at me. I'm on the verge of tears. <laughs> oh, God. God. God knows how I'm not a serial killer now. Seriously. <laughs> Although I've, I've still got time, I suppose. Anyway, cheers. <laughs> what a story. Just if I start, if you're going to start becoming a serial killer, please don't show you wear a sick and wrong t-shirt for every murder. Yeah, definitely. Remember to do please. that. We'll even send you one. Um, I got to say, like, a lot of people feel like the military is enriching for their lives. Like, it leads them to 
careers or something. Like I know I've known a few, quite a few uh, engineers that I work with that were all in the Navy or the Air Force or something, and 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 it's all because of the military because they came from low income backgrounds. The military paid for their education. For Twisted Firestarter, it's quite the contrary. I think it's like a very traumatic experience for him. Didn't he get he got raped by a broom? They like remember? Did he get raped with a broom? Not by a broom, but with a broom. He got like <laughs> yeah. The a, broom came out and just pinned him to the floor and raped. Him. It was like Fantasia. Like <laughs> Mouse was yeah, Fantasia meets Evil Dead. <laughs> um. Yeah, but then he went to like the prostitute and was mocked by everybody, and then this like marching and shitting his pants. I think this is all life enriching for him, though, because he can always like harken back to these times in his memories and be like, no, that was the lowest point. It's all up from It's there. all uphill from here, yeah. Well, he's got a good sense of humor about it, at least, you know? He's sharing these stories on this fucking podcast. Look, if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. And what's the point in that? You might as well laugh about it. Exactly. Anyway, uh, good to hear from you, Twisted Firestarter. Hope you're doing well. Uh, people call the Sigma on hotline 323-522-4032. Um, we're about to wrap up here. And once again, just want to thank everybody who support the show on Patreon. Uh, we do appreciate yeah. you uh, helping us keep it sick and wrong every week. Uh, just patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Five bucks. You get a whole second show. So it's like double the sick and wrong fun every week. Anyway, it's what you need in your life. You do. Double. Trouble. <laughs> um, also, we got a tea Public store if you want to get some Sick and Wrong merch. And they are actually <laughs> doing a sale right now. It's $13 per t-shirt and I think like 30% off all the other merch. So she actually, uh, the rep, uh, messaged me today about it. So um, they do have a sale. You can go over there. You can get get one of our new designs. Go get a, a Make Abortion Gradient tea. Or you know what, actually? I ordered... I probably shouldn't say it in case you listens, but I ordered a Stinkor shirt for JoJo Kelly in like yeah. light gray, and it it looks really cool. It looks I good. I hope he wears it. He yeah, can wear it, it safely it when really he moves well. back to his precious New York. Well, it was funny because uh, John was staying at my house, and we talked about that on the second show. Uh, he was taking care of Caliban while I was in England, and I like showed it to him. He's like, what is that? And I was like, Stinkor. He's like, from He-Man? I was like, no. Joe's uh, girlfriend, you know, with the smelly pussy. And he's like, oh, that, that one. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to give that one? to Joe for his, uh, his back to New York City city gift. Yeah, back to um, his precious New York where they really like saxophones out there. Anyway, go to cigaronpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. Buy yourself some merch. Finally, here's Cigaron Song of the Week. I'd be remiss if I wasn't going to play... You know, a Killdozer song. We <laughs> yeah. just covered Killdozer. We got to play a Killdozer song. Were you ever into that band? Like, did you, did you ever even know them? I mean, yeah, I, I'm aware of Killdozer. I'm not like, oh my God, Killdozer are the best. But like, yeah, they're all right. I, I think they're like a dude band, but they're so good. Yeah, they're, they're good. I'm not denying they're not good. Oh but God, they're, they're yeah, so good. they are just a bit too much like on the boy type of side of things. So they, they were on like uh, mid 80s to like, I think through the 90s, and I think they called it quits, end of the 90s, but uh, they had some great albums. Uh, one of my favorites is, is their third album, Little Baby Bunting, and uh, this song called Ballad of My Old Man. It's about, um, about his dad. Um, it's so good. Came out in 1987 on uh, Touch and Go, and also on this album, um, another fine song is uh, a cover of Neil Diamond's I Am I Said. It's very, very moving. It really is. 
to your bowels. But uh, it's a it's a great song. <laughs> Go check it out. Um, we're gonna end the show here with uh, "Ballad of My Old Man" by Killdozer. People, we'll be back next week with episode eight fifty eight. Till then, take it sleazy.